The Lord didn't set his love on you, nor choose you, because you are more in number than any of the peoples, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you. Was it because Israel was lovely? No. He says, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery and from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God. When God chose Abraham, he was an idolater. And God has to save sinners, and that's what he does. And if it depended on our faithfulness or our willing or our running, there would be no salvation. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of a message titled, God's Word Has Not Failed. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not make it good? Balaam, the false prophet, was forced to say that. He was forced to underline the truth that God's word will be accomplished. When God says something, he means it. And one day, all of history will display the faithfulness of God to his word. God's word has not failed. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Jesus, when he was tempted, said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word of God is tested. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Christ said, constantly he pulled us back to the very word of God. We can trust the character of God, and the character of God is displayed and revealed through his words, his very words. The words that I speak to you, Jesus said in John 6, are spirit and are life. Now, he says, the word of God has not failed. It's not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. You see, it's not just merely a matter of physical descent. He's already said that. Look back at chapter 2. Look at the end of chapter 2. And in one sense, he's picking up now some of the things that he raised at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 and didn't really uh, finish all that he had to say. So he picks it up. And you remember back in chapter 2, he's criticizing the Jewish self-righteousness that says, well, we're circumcised, we've got the law, and... uh, There are many people like that today, Jew or Gentile. I've been baptized, I I go to church, I've got my... And they claim all their privileges. And one that they'll claim is being born into the right line. And so Paul says, oh, no, no. And back in chapter 2, he'd already said, listen, uh, verse 28, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. There is always a tendency to depend on physical descent. Millions of people today, I'm confident, are trusting in that kind of religious privilege. 
Look at verse 7 again, or verse 6, excuse me. They are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Don't you come and say to me, we've got Abraham for our father, John the Baptist said. I'll tell you what, God is able from these rocks, from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. But they did, didn't they? Oh, and there were many. Turn over to John 8. Just listen. Or if you don't turn, just listen, because I want to just read the words of the Lord Jesus, starting at uh, verse 31. If you abide in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, they answered him, we're Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with with my father, therefore you also do the things which you've heard from your father." They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me. A man who's told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You're doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent, he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies." But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. That is a theme wrapped all the way through Scripture. We must be born of God. You've got to be born again, Jesus said. It's not which family you were born into. It's responding to the grace of God. They were not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Just being in the right family doesn't make you a true Israelite. And then he goes on, verse 7, "...neither are they all children because they're Abraham's descendants." But through Isaac, your descendants will be made. That is, it's not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. It's not the children of the flesh, the Ishmaelites, and he, he expands on this further in Galatians 4, but rather the children of the promise are regarded, the children of Isaac. For this is a word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. It'll be through Sarah, and we're seeing that as we study Genesis. But somebody says, well, okay, yeah, I mean, you've got to come through Isaac. You've got to be a true Jew. No, you can't be through that Egyptian handmaid, that Hagar. Well, then he stops there, and he says, no, verse 10. 
he goes to another generation, the next generation, and he says, not only this, but there was Rebecca, Isaac's wife. Also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born and not done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose, according to his choice, might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Someone says, well, it's got to be through through Sarah, because after all, Hagar, okay, he says, well, then let's go to the next generation, Rebecca. And she had twins. And he says, you see, God's sovereign choice between Jacob and Esau did not depend on any of these things that we typically think of. Now look at verse 10 and 11. They're packed with truth. These guys were twins. They had the same father, the same mother. They were not yet born, he said, for the twi- though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, it was then before they had been born that God said, the older will serve the younger, and they hadn't done anything good or bad. God's choice does not depend on parentage. God's choice does not depend on birth. God's choice does not depend on works. They hadn't done anything, good or bad, when God sovereignly chose and made this distinction. Now, modern man will uh, take the first one, doesn't depend on parentage, takes the second one, yeah, most will generally accept that, but uh, God's choice doesn't depend on deeds, doesn't depend on works. The natural man hates this. I know even as I speak it, there are some perhaps in this room who are saying, what? What's he saying? What's it say there? You see, I would, I'd be tempted to say the modern man hates this, but I can't really say that because Paul is, uh, what, 20 centuries ago when he writes this? It's not the modern man that hates this. It's the natural man. It's the sinful man. If it doesn't depend on parentage, it doesn't depend on birth, it doesn't depend on anything we do, what does it depend on then? Reread verse 10 and 11. It depends on God. Verse 11. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose, according to His choice, might stand, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. What does it depend on? It depends on God. That's who. God's purpose, according to His choice, might stand, not because of Him who works, but because of Him who calls. He has saved us and called us, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.9. He's saved us and called us, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. 2 Timothy one. Verse 9, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless, Ephesians 1.4. We basked in this truth just a few weeks ago in chapter 8 when God said, listen, I'm causing all things to work together for good. And whom I called, 
these I also predestined. Whom I predestined, these I also justified. And whom I justified, these I also glorified. And we saw from eternity past to eternity future, God's sovereign purpose is established. And he, his work will not be thwarted. Now, verse 12, God purposely told Sarah this prior to their birth to establish his sovereign choice. And notice verse 11 doesn't say that God saw something in Jacob that he didn't find in in Esau. That would be what? Well, then it'd be God's choice according to human merit, human works. But he said, no, they hadn't done anything good or bad. As I say, the natural man doesn't like this because man wants to establish some sort of merit before God. But if you've been reading Romans, if you've really heard Romans up to now, the question isn't why did he hate Esau and love Jacob? The question is why did he love Jacob? None of If it depended on man who wills or the man who runs, none would be saved. But verse 16 we're going to see next week. It doesn't depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. And by the way, verse 12 is quoted from Genesis and verse 13 is from Malachi. And in one sense, Paul is doing what he's been doing all the way through Romans. He's showing that his gospel was promised beforehand. God's purposes and works have not changed. I mean, the unfolding of it in history is, is yes, it's being unfolded. But this is established from the beginning. In the very first two generations of God's dealings with Abraham, he established his sovereign purposes. And God's choice of Israel does not depend on Israel. Hence, Israel's unbelief, Israel's failure, will not frustrate or thwart God's purposes. Listen, listen, uh, as I go back and read, and we need to hear this as we think about what Paul is raising here. Well, is Israel's unbelief somehow going to thwart God's purposes, or will God's word fail? And Paul is saying no. And if you go back and breathe the Old Testament uh, atmosphere, you might say, listen to what... Uh, what Moses, God said through Moses, he said, you are a holy people. I'm, qu- I'm reading Deuteronomy 34. You're a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord didn't set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you, Why did he choose Israel? Because he did. Was it because Israel was lovely? No. He says, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery and from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God, he is God. Oh, God's sovereign grace toward Israel will not be thwarted because of Israel's failure. Israel, when God chose Abraham, he was an idolater, and God has to save sinners, and that's what he does. And if he had to, and if it depended on our faithfulness or our willing or our running, there would be no salvation. But God, in sovereign mercy and grace, has reached in and saved. Now, whenever, whenever, God's sovereignty is asserted as it is here in chapter 9. Why uh, the sinful heart of man 
rebels. And immediately two great objections, at least great in man's dulled, distorted, sin-twisted mind. Uh, you know, our objections are, are uh, we've got to remember who's doing the objecting. But uh, obviously there's right away the question, well, this isn't fair. How can God choose like that? And secondly, the thought comes out, well, that destroys man's responsibility. And Paul, he knows about this. We're not going to answer those questions yet. We'll look that next week. But look at verse 14. He asks these questions. I mean, either he's asking them or he's, or he's letting a hypothetical questioner because he's heard them. He's dealt with this. So verse 14, what should we say then? There's no injustice with God, is there? Is God righteous or not? Is this fair or not? And then verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? That destroys man's responsibility. That's not fair. That cancels out man's freedom, man's responsible. Listen, we'll look at that next week, but I can't help but say it is fair. It is fair. God is righteous. He never does anything in unrighteousness. And if God dealt with man and... and uh, the way man is calling for, there would be none saved. God is righteous and he shows mercy to some through what he's already established in eight chapters, the great gift of his son. And it doesn't cancel out man's responsibility. This whole section is a plea to Israel to believe. And God knows all about uh, the heart that Paul has when he says, I could wish myself accursed. For the sake of Israel. I pray for Israel. That's the heart of God. Look at chapter 10. Look over at chapter 10, verse 21. He knows what it's like. As for me, as for Israel, he says, this is God speaking, all day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and slays those sent to them. How often I would have gathered you, but you would not. You were unwilling. That's our Lord Jesus' heart as you hear him speaking. No, and in fact, we're going to see the greatest missionary challenge, I think, perhaps in all of Scripture, is right in the heart of this section. So it's not that uh, God cancels out. His sovereignty somehow cancels out man's responsibility. No, we have a responsibility as Christians to proclaim the gospel. How are they going to hear if we don't tell them? And so he's going to develop that in chapter 10. But uh, as I say, man will re re respond this way, but God will answer these questions, and we'll take a look at it the next time, but I can't help but kind of look ahead and say that much. Now, in closing, let me ask you several questions. First of all, I speak to you who know Christ. Do you have some of Paul's heart? Look at verse 2. I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Is that your heart? I'm not asking you to be in verse 3. Uh, verse 3 is, is uh, and, uh, that's the apostle's heart. But I'm asking you, do you have real grief and sorrow for those who are lost around you? If not, you haven't caught the truth of what's being said here. Uh, we need to develop that kind of heart. Pray that God would give us His heart for the lost around us, for the lost in Israel, for the nation Israel. And then let me ask another question, and I ask this to all of us. Do you have great privilege? Are you a member of the church? Do you have the Bible? Are your parents Christians? 
Doesn't make you a Christian. Doesn't make you right with God. The more privilege, you say, well, I've always heard that. I've... Yes, you've always heard that. Have you responded? Israel had great privilege, and that privilege didn't save them. Am I speaking to your heart? And you say, well, I've heard sermon after sermon. I know these things. I can quote these things. Has it got a hold of your heart? Have you personally responded to Jesus Christ? Don't, uh, on this most crucial of issues, don't claim privilege. Don't say, well, my folks believe that. I'm, a Christ- I'm in a Christian home. Oh, no. What does that make you? You must be born of God. Don't ever forget that. And then uh, I want to speak to us, and I'm probably speaking to every Christian in the room, when I ask this question, do you have relatives, kinsmen according to the flesh, who are not saved, who are in unbelief? Let me encourage you to to, uh, model Romans 9 here and mull it over and ask God to put this in your heart. Paul had that unceasing grief and sorrow for his kinsmen according to the flesh. Pray. Look at chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Follow your heart in prayer. And then as I read Romans 9, 10, and 11, I say, trust God's righteousness. Don't ever turn loose of the Lord himself. Jesus said, unless you're willing to love me more than father, mother, wife, brother, you know, you're not worthy of the kingdom. There's a great need to call on him and follow him. And his, or I should put it this way. His call on us is higher than any human bond. And yet we should have the heart of Paul. And then finally, let me just say, don't depend on anything other than Jesus Christ. Don't depend on your natural descent. Don't depend on being in the right church. Don't depend on your works. If anything was ever written to destroy any hope of God rewarding human merit, it seems to me these verses point us to the grace of God as our only salvation. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, that's who will be saved. Whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. But as long as you cling to any kind of merit, you say, I can't believe in a God who would just... He didn't arbitrarily do anything. He righteously sent His Son to die in your place. And to spurn that, look ahead to verse 32. Israel, verse 31, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Oh, come to Christ today and respond to His grace by faith. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, God's Word Has Not Failed, a message from our series in the book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. 
It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. God underscored His mercy and His compassion to Moses. And I'll tell you, the more you and I understand God's sovereignty, the more we will see of God's mercy and His compassion, and we will glorify Him for His sovereign, His free, caused by nothing outside Himself, mercy to sinners. Now, Turn back there, Exodus 32. Take a look at it because uh, Paul is writing to people who knew the Bible, or at least he certainly knew it and expected them to. And as I said, he quotes it repeatedly in these chapters. And we want to look at uh, Exodus 32 and 33 briefly because he underlines, he underscores two very important truths for us, uh, Israel's sinfulness and God's glory in freely bestowing His mercy. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, A Righteous God and a Savior. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.